the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic, and I will be your host for today's nonprofit MBA podcast. For those of you who don't know me, I am the co-founder of Financing Solutions, and we are the leading provider in the United States for lines of credit for small nonprofits. And if you're interested in learning more about a line of credit for your nonprofit, please visit nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And it's a very, the line of credit is a very popular product. We've been around for 12 years. We are very well known in that space. We are the, the leading company in that space right now in the United States. And it's a good thing to have as a good cash backup plan. Uh, today, we have a, a sponsor for today's podcast, and it's Arraise, R-A, I'm sorry, A-R-A-I-Z-E, Arraise Fast Fund Online is a cloud-based system that seamlessly integrates nonprofit accounting software, uh, fund, fundraising, and single payroll and a single solution. So it's a great accounting software package specifically built for small nonprofits. Um, if it's something that you're interested in, please feel free to visit their website at arrays.com. Again, it's A-R-A-I-Z-E.com or call Joe at 847-261-9605. I'm a big fan of software that's built specifically for an industry. It's a lot better than having a QuickBooks and trying to make QuickBooks work for your nonprofit. Today, I am very excited to be speaking with Yolanda F. Johnson from Woman of Color in Fundraising and Philanthropy. Uh, And today's topic is going to be women's philanthropy and stewardship of donors of color. Uh, Yolanda is a leader in fundraising, philanthropy, and inclusion, equity, and diversity. She has developed training methods for boards and leadership groups in effective fundraising strategies and in racial and gender equity, in addition to successfully launching fundraising and marketing initiatives. Her philanthropic, her philanthropic, poc, <laughs> I knew I was going to butcher that word. Uh, uh, her, her work includes counseling uh, philanthropists on where to direct their resources and through her own uh, YFJ uh, philanthropies, she personally gives back to causing uh, support, uh, causes supporting racial and gender equity and those with disabilities and the arts, including my disability, which is dyslexia. So that's why I struggle. So uh, thanks for being patient, everybody. Yolanda, welcome to today's nonprofit MBA podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, a joy to be here. So uh, let's talk a little bit about what this topic really entails, uh, what it really means of women's philanthropy and stewardship of donors of color. Uh, Shed some light on it for us, please. Well, I think that uh, women's philanthropy and inclusion, equity, and diversity, we put the inclusion first because the theory of change around YFJ and Woke and Woke Sister Organization Allies in Action um, is that the inclusion comes first. Without the I, you can't really have any of the other acronyms. And we have so many acronyms out there this day. Um, I've been saying Jedi is my favorite right now. Justice matters, plus it's just a cool word. Um, but 
I started to understand that women's philanthropy really comes under that DEI umbrella um, because women have been otherized um, so often. There have been so many assumptions made about how women give and what um, investments should go into really stewarding women donors. Um, and people haven't done it uh, effectively uh, to date, actually. And so we know that there are tens of millions of dollars left on the table every year because people do not know how to steward women donors. The other group um, that uh, needs a particular lens uh, through which you're going to see stewardship and cultivation is donors of color. Uh, similar uh, to women donors, but of course different in many different ways, but they both fa fall under seeing philanthropy through that more inclusive lens, which is going to just work better for everyone when we get away from the transactional model of fundraising, where we're really illuminating the path for people and having relationships with people so that they're using their, their dollars to enact change, um, that it's real, that it's on a real people-to-people -people level, um, but also that it's not a knee-jerk kind of reaction, getting back to the transaction, seeing people as checkbooks. Um, and then if you see it that way, then you're going to see women and, and people of color sometimes differently if you don't have that inclusive mindset. So that's really, um, you know, part of my life's work and, and what I'm here to talk about today. So tell me what that mindset should be. Well, before we go there, tell me what the mindset is or has been, and then let's talk about what the mindset should be. The mindset has been that everything has been donor centric. All fundraising is about the donor, about cultivating the donor, about focusing on the donor and the donors in the typical philanthropic sphere. Um, and one of the purposes of WOKE, Women of Color in Fundraising and Philanthropy, its acronym, its nickname is WOKE, um, is to dismantle that archetype of what the philanthropist is, which is usually a middle-aged or older white male or female, to understanding that it's completely redefined now. And really, philanthropy is, is defined through generosity as well. And so women and people of color can look back and say, oh, my name doesn't need to be etched into a huge institution to be a philanthropist. Uh, and when fundraisers and people on the other side of the table see things that way and don't just go to donors, everything about the donor, and then, um, again, looking at people as checkbooks, always with the focus of closing that gift. Fundraising is about money. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> so we understand that that's uh, an important part of philanthropy, but there's so much more to it. And when you see things inclusively and see relationships with people who you're guiding down the path of getting the good work done through these dollars, um, it changes everything. And it's a much more enjoyable and more impactful experience for everybody involved. So typically you're seeing it all about the donor, um, but really not in the best of ways. You're making assumptions about who the donors are and what donors you should prioritize and focus upon when it comes to women's philanthropy. Some people make a lot of mistakes around focusing on, um, if it's a, a male-female relationship, focusing on the male. How many times I've had very high-level, high-net-worth women say they went into a meeting and the fundraiser directed every question to her husband when really it was a joint decision-making process, or she was really making the decision, but they were there together. And so when with donors of color, other assumptions can be made as well, that perhaps the money's not there. Um expecting them like going straight like one of the sayings that I've become known for is don't treat your donors of color like a DEI ATM so 
I just see the checkbook. I see the check. I see the gift. Oh, it's a donor of color. Let's talk to them about this particular thing because of course they'd be interested in that. Making assumptions, not realizing or remembering rather that they're human beings with gifts and talents and skills and interests um, and that you should really learn about as people while understanding and valuing them as a donor of color. So that's how we should be thinking is, is uh, individuals keeping good records. It's one of the biggest pain points of the whole industry right now in nonprofits, bad record keeping, not using the CRM to its fullest potential, um, not taking the five minutes to make a note after a meeting to understand who a person is, how meaningful it is to that donor if they just got a new dog and you remember that <laughs> next meeting and say, oh, you had a puppy last time. How's it going? Um, that means you care. It's, it's kind of a bedside manner, like you say about doctors in a way, um, because my favorite doctor keeps great records. It seems like she knows everything about me every time I go to see her. She doesn't. <laughs> she keeps good records and she stands outside the room and she reads them before she comes in. And I feel like I'm the only person in the world and that she cared enough to understand me as a person, first and foremost. And so I think that's the real strategy that fundraisers have to and mindset that we have to be having. You know, I'm, I'm 58 years old and, uh, you know, I, um, I think of myself as a progressive person and I just can't believe we're still having the same conversation about, you know, talking to the man in the room and not the women and, and not, you know, I, I just, I mean, I feel, I personally don't feel like I do that at all. Uh, you know, but I was brought up by my first manager at, at, when I started my first job was a woman and my, I have two older sisters and I never saw the difference between honestly a black person and a white person. And that just, just didn't dawn on me. And I'm just kind of shocked. We're still having the same conversation. I mean, it's, it's naive of me not to think we're having crazy conversations about, you know, terrible things that are happening in, in crime and, you know, and, you know, and it's just, why, you know, I just can't believe that people aren't treating people as people as, and let's bring it down to uh, non-political and that is in raising money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's all, you know, it's all green. And so what, what do I care? I mean, why is this still happening? Why are people not in the nonprofit sector? Why are people not understanding people's interests, period. Well, let's use what you just described in your own lived experience as a case study. So you're a white male, you're a middle-aged white well, male. Well, sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, the danger sometimes in someone of your particular demographic, um, you're voicing it in a, a context of uh, frustration a bit because your lived experience has been somewhat unique for someone who's of your demographic group. But sometimes what you just voiced is voiced in a very naive way that feeds into something that we've been seeing. So Allies in Action is a sister organization of Woke. Um, I started it after hearing from so many white allies in 2020 asking you know, for help around what to do at, with the racial justice movement, how they could be involved. So we created it. It's based upon four pillars of education, legislation, inclusion, and action. And, um, you know, sometimes we, we started to see a white fatigue. 
start to take place around April 2021, advent of the vaccines, people wanted things to just be okay already. You know, we'd gone through it. I made my gift. I went to my DER seminar. (laughs) I served on a committee. I checked all my boxes, but box checking is performative. This is lifestyle work. This is human work. This is soul work. Um, And so when it's, uh, this work happens at the speed of people, systems, people change systems. Uh, You can't hit anybody over the head with, with it. Um, You have to meet people where they are, but you have to be really careful about wanting things to just be okay already because change will take about a century. And so we're making, we're fast tracking a lot of it, but sometimes I have to go back and remember um, that my mother still went to a segregated school for a few years. Not because it was still segregated, actually, but because it was late after Brown versus Board of Education, which is reminds me of Juneteenth sometimes. You know, the slaves were free, but they weren't free yet because the word hadn't really traveled. They hadn't implemented it yet. So, you know, it was a hard pill to swallow, that change for some people. And it makes me say, wow, so this is the first generation. I'm the first generation really outside, like the products of the civil rights movement and the 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 products and the progresses um, of the civil rights movement Um, and change is going to continue to take time. It has to be real change, not performative change. So when you're talking about your lived experience, it's very interesting to me. This is a foreign concept to some extent for you because you had sisters. So great. You had other women in the home um, who were probably role models who helped you understand some of the dynamics between males and females. I'm sure you saw them endure things also. They probably went through their own stuff and you were probably upset about that and an advocate for it. Um, but the other key thing you said is that your first manager was a woman. So we have to look into leadership pipeline. Why is it that so many women are not in those C-suite positions? Women are the main um, participants in the workforce in the nonprofit sector, especially around fundraising and philanthropy. But why aren't they in those leadership positions um, adequately uh, in comparison to men? So you had a woman that you saw in a position of leadership who helped to train you that is not necessarily the typical lived experience of someone of your demographic group, especially at the time that you were coming up in the field. So you can count yourself, um, and I'm sure you do, quite fortunate um, to have had that experience because many people have it, and then it informs the way that they think and they don't think, actually. Yeah, I mean, and there's much more to it than that. You know, there's, you know, I went to a very diverse college that I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I grew up, you know, so there's a, I, this is in a study in Steve Halasnik and you know, what I'm, you know, what I'm trying to, I, I am by nature a natural salesperson yeah. and, and I started my first nine years of my career in sales. And to me, you, you know, it's fundraising is all about listening and asking good questions and getting to know your potential customer. And in this case, it's getting to know um, when you're talking about, you know, uh, large gifts or, you know, fundraising, it's, it's learning about other people. And so to me, that just seems a natural part of educating oneself. And um, so I'm just, you know, but I I like what you said before, and it, it changed my thought process in that you said it takes a hundred years to make a significant change uh, in, uh, I don't know if if people's perceptions or whatever that when you said that, that changed things a lot for me. 
I'm like, oh, okay, so we're just not there yet. And we have made, uh, well, anyway, so I, you know, I, I kind of want to get off of that a little bit. But so, and you already said, so we talked a little bit about people, the past and the present. And you, you alluded to some of the things about the future, about what we should be doing uh, as a, to, to get fundraising and big donors and those type of things. Um, where, where, where is the future headed for nonprofits as far as fundraising in relation to this topic? Well, DEI is the future, and so those who do not embrace it um, will be left behind yep. uh, to a very large extent. But it shouldn't be otherized and put into a box. Again, you know, I just want to reiterate, this is lifestyle change. Just like you want to eat healthier and drink more water, um, you want to be more inclusive. You want to think differently um, so that you can be really intentional when you're doing that event you could just go to the people that you always use as your vendors, or you could take the extra few hours and people power time and say, you know, let's try to think of other artisans or people who are in this um, area of the sector to mix things up a little bit and make sure that we're supporting smaller businesses or women-owned business or people of color-owned businesses. It's those type of steps that are going to result in this becoming the norm and not being just, a, we never want this work to be precious. And so um, I think the future is definitely a more inclusive lens. It's helping uh, the, the white allies to understand that um, this wasn't just something that happened from 2020 to, to 2023 yeah. or so, um, that this is here to stay and it has to stay somewhere in our hearts and in our minds. You know, with fundraising, it's the head, the heart, the hand. Um, really understanding how people give and how you need to interact with a particular donor, in particular with women donors as well, how the statistics indicate that they give. Learn about that. Embrace it. Understand it. So those people, again, it's going to come down to the bottom line because everyone will start to understand that when you invest the time and, uh, the, and understand the value in this work and in being more inclusive with fundraising and with philanthropy, you're going to see it start to come in on the bottom line. You're going to have more gifts. You're going to have greater gifts. You're going to have a different looking donor base. Um, but it does take time to get there and the time, you know, it all starts now. And then you plant the seeds, you continue to work forward um, with it. And I think we're going to see a lot of progress as far as that's concerned. Will there be bumps in the road? Yes, there already have been. But, I mean, look at the amount of money that was pledged around racial justice from 2020 to now and actually how much, much has been um, realized is a huge disparity. There are a lot of promises made that still need to be fulfilled. And I think that's going to, to happen over time as people, again, reimagine the fundraising sector and the nonprofit sector in a different kind of, of way. You think... Uh the, you know, the Melinda Gates, um, the woman from Amazon, I'm sorry, I don't know her name. Uh, you, uh, Mackenzie Scott. Yeah, Mackenzie Scott. Thank you. I, I just forgot her name. I, you know, Mackenzie Scott. Uh, do you think that they have opened this discussion and taught us a lot of different things? Uh, or was it always there and they're, they're just now kind of the face of this movement? 
I think it's some of both. I think that uh, those two particular examples, those women have been powerful um, representatives for women's philanthropy and for diverse philanthropy in different ways, the way that they've given. Um, and I also think that women have been here all the time in different capacities, just like donors of color have been here all the time. Just like when I speak to women of color and they don't think that their family has been philanthropic because they weren't making large gifts. Well, they were giving to the church. They were giving their tithes. They were giving their time. They were building up their communities. They'd always been philanthropic. So redefining that, I think, is is of utmost importance. So I think um, we, we've been here all along, just need to be tapped into and cultivated and stewarded and appreciated um, in the proper way. But it is interesting that it took the billionaires um, to really make that impact and uh, and get everyone's attention on this level. But women have been out there for for a very long time being philanthropic and moving that needle forward. Well, keep in mind, it's a movement. I mean, if you look back into the original um, huge, what created uh, nonprofit giving, you know, John D. Rockefeller um, from, you know, uh, Standard Oil, you know, started the whole idea of giving large, huge donations from, from uh, families. And then the Vanderbilts came so that was a movement in itself. And so maybe that's why uh, Melinda Gates and others are all um, starting this movement now that we're seeing to tap into um, uh, various other groups other than white males for, for big donations. What, if, so let's say, you're, let's say you're running a – you're an executive director – your uh, your nonprofit's five million dollars in revenue, um, and you really kind of want to start a uh, you know you really want to get bigger donors to drive your fundraising. Tell me a little bit about you know how would you use the discussion that we had today so far um, about running a major donor program. Well, major successful major donor programs are all about strategy. And I'm a strategist. It's part of what my, my company does. So you're really going to look at every aspect. You're going to do an audit. And you have to be honest about where you are and who you are and how you're fulfilling your mission and who you have in every level of leadership and who, who's there. What is the reality of your situation? And then you can build out strategy from there. You can't just build it as a knee-jerk reaction or just mm. because you think that you need to have it. It has to be very particular to you and to your organization. Um, one of the most important questions uh, that I've asked clients in the past is, you know, what would the nonprofit sector, and this is from um, an old friend and, and brilliant consultant named Pi Isis, um, what would the sector look like if your organization didn't exist? And you start there and you say, wow, so we are special. Why are you? What's the strategy to helping other people understand, to telling that story, to fulfilling your mission, and then to make it compelling and then to make it not transactional, but to guide these people and shine through your organization's mission, the light on the path to the work that you're accomplishing and getting other like-minded people with the resources behind it in order to grow your giving program. And it's it really is a full-time job, isn't it? Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yes, I mean, I, I, I don't mean to be so uh, coy with that, but the idea is, you know, you, a lot of executive directors who are smaller nonprofits, they all know they're, they're, they're doing everything. Um, and when you start switching into uh, going from, well, we have this fundraising campaign that we do once a year and that's our major fundraising. And then you start saying, okay, now I want to make a switch to really cultivating big donors. It's a full-time job and it's a big mindset change from, you know, usually what a smaller executive uh, an organization that's smaller is doing already. Uh, have you seen, have you, am I right in saying that it's a big mindset change? Uh, according to your organization's strategy, but you have to diversify the way that you're seeing everything in every way. And I mean, um, how much can you accomplish? What What do your prospects look like? What is your donor base and your, your current pool of donors look like? That's the audit. What is your reality right now? And yes, all of this is a full-time job. And that's why, you know, recently I have become so appreciative of the fact that I was a generalist when I was in the thick of it and running a small shop and having to know how to do everything. But now I'm like, I know how to do everything, you know, on yeah. some level. And so I'm really grateful for that. So all of you people out there who might be running a small shop or, you know, be leading a small organization, um, take heart because you really are developing some really important skill sets out there being able to wear those different hats. But that being said, um, we have to be honest and understand that a lot of time and focus needs to go into it when you're building a major gift program and you have to be ready for it and you have to be able to prioritize um, what's going to work best for your organization right now. What do you have in front of you? What will your strategy be? And if it is on growing the donor base, then you're going to need to invest in prospecting. Um, you, so just start at where you are realistically and that will inform your strategy moving forward. But yes, building a fundraising program, building a major gift program, a successful one is going to take a lot of someone's time. And so you also have to think of um, what does that look like for you? Do you need to hire a person? What percentage of the executive director's time is going to be spent on that and on closing those gifts? And then you have to look at your board. Um, who's there and how can they play a role in all of this and other leadership entities? So, But it all starts with who are you? Where are you right now? So are you suggesting that, um, and uh, you know, that the way I'm particularly articulating that it sounds defensive, but I, I don't mean it that way. You're an executive director, smaller nonprofit, and you want to, you're, you're buying into what we're talking about today. Okay. And what we're talking about today is, um, to look for other avenues of big donors than the past. Um, so in that vein, is it is what we are is what you're saying today is just be open-minded when you talk to people, find out about them, understand them, understand what uh, what their past has been like, what their what the what what other people in their situation might have been like. Or are you suggesting when you come up with a strategy that you purposely go af after women, uh, uh, people of color, so on and so forth? Is, 
Is there a strategy here is what I'm asking? Of course. And it's strategic in the sense of intentionality. So we can use those words interchangeably. It's opening yourself up to understanding and valuing the donors from those two particular groups. Um, really just being inclusive across the board, actually, but we're talking about these particular groups today and uh, developing a very intentional plan. If this is not your reality right now, if you do that audit and where you are and who you are does not embrace women donors and donors of color to be very intentional, to think about how can we do that better? I'm assuming that your nonprofit has to gear itself toward the interests of women and women uh, and people of color and so on and so forth, uh, all the different segments. If you are like an example would be if you're an organization that helps men understand prostate cancer better, that that probably isn't the best route to go with women. Uh, I mean, I can see where it might, if your husband had died of prostate cancer, but Maybe not might may not be the best strategy. Is that fair to say? I think that's incredibly unfair to say, actually. Okay. Okay. Um, I think that it's those types of assumptions that feed into the issues that are at play. And let me just go a little further on that. So you you actually just picked up on the first reason why. Because we're all human beings and someone in your life may have been touched by that. For me, you know, if it was a prostate cancer organization, it would be my grandfather. And yeah. some other family members who and I my love dearly, yeah. right? So yeah. I'm a woman, I'm a black woman, <laughs> you're a, a white male, and it means something to both of us. And so that fundraiser has to understand that when you limit yourself, then you're limiting your fundraising potential and you're not being inclusive in your thinking. Um, so yeah, it, it could be, I happen to fit into two of those categories, a woman and a person of color, and it would matter to me. And I would be willing to hear your pitch to see what's going on and what your programming is doing and your impact to possibly make a gift. But if you make that assumption that it's a woman and a black woman or just the woman part, and therefore it's probably not good to include that person in my strategy, you've shot yourself in the proverbial foot. Yeah, well, my, my problem with that is this. I mean, I'm not talking about someone sitting sitting in front of me, and you know, you have a woman and you have a man. I'm that I, I'm gonna, of course, I would treat them both the same in regards to big donors. But uh, I'm talking about like high probability of marketing. So, you know, I'm trying to think of the best scenario. But you know, when you're marketing, let's say you're creating a list that you're going to send out a mail or two. Let's just keep it simple, right? Old school mailer, right? Um, and, you know, someone, uh, a, a list broker comes up to you and says, okay, you know, this is what the segmentation is going to look like. And, and, I, and, I, and I go and I, and I already look at the research that we've done in the past and I see that 95% of our donors are male. And 5% are women. Okay. And yes, I could say as well, maybe my past strategy had lend itself in that direction, right? I could say, oh, well, let me question that, right? Um, but the, you know, when you talk about marketing and I'm going for, I'm trying to go for the highest probability that the person who's going to open up that mailer is going to 
donate or call or sort of join our fundraising uh, uh, event. Um, and I already know that 95% of our donors are male. You know, am I going to say to the list broker, you know, I need 50-50, I need 50% female, 50% uh, male. Now, the only argument that I would have here is maybe those 50% of those female females have not been contacted enough. Uh, and so they're not being over, um, they're not getting inundated by um, organizations such as myself, that I'm, you know, the prostate cancer research, whatever it is. Does that, does that make sense to you where you would want to make some of those assumptions in marketing? I still think that they're bad assumptions because mm. when you do that audit of the organization and you notice if the organization notices that 95% of its donor base is male, I think, I don't really know of a circumstance under which that would be a natural thing. Hmm. Um, unless it's a, a gender based organization that's only for males. So uh, outside of that, that's the inclusive lens. And that's the strategy and the intentionality. Do you want to change that? Because you're still leaving money on the table for the me's of the world who would give to you. But have you come up with an approach that says the universality of cancer and of prostate cancer, it impacts all of us and someone that we love. And, you know, to make sure to do that outreach, that's only smart. And it's thinking more inclusively. Or you could stay in that box and only ever get those male donors and miss out on the tens of millions of dollars that other that women and other donors are giving each year. Um, that's the the step that has to be taken. That's the intentionality of it all. So I I really like what you said, and that is, if you look at your re, if you do your research and you look at your donor base, and in this case, if ninety five percent of the male if it's male donors, you you have to at that point say I'm doing something wrong. It's probably an issue. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, there's definitely an area of opportunity that I'm missing here. And there's no, that you know, you could throw everything away and really start kind of start from scratch and say this, you know, this is a reflection of poor marketing. And in essence that there's, there's, there's money being left on the table to put it bluntly because I'm not going after um, other segments as, as well. Is that fair to say? Yes, I think that's entirely fair. And there's a beauty to it, right? This is something that impacts a lot of different people on a lot of different levels. Do you think that there aren't a lot of male donors to breast cancer charities? Do they not have mothers and sisters and wives of and, course. and daughters oh, yeah. who have been impacted by that? So I just think yeah. we have to be really careful and really thoughtful about it. There may be some exceptional circumstances, um, but for the most part, that's broadening the lens and therefore broadening your fundraising potential. Okay. All right. Uh, we have a, uh, like a couple of minutes left. Um, I'd like to give you a, a last word. Uh, 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 this was an uncomfortable conversation for me because I think I'm a little out of touch with, you know, what you're talking about. Um, I, I just joined another new board, which I'm helping them raise funds and we're going through all these steps now. So what I learned from Yolanda is really gonna be really helpful for me in, in helping guide this uh, new nonprofit I'm a part of. But, um, so give us a, a few of your last thoughts on this topic. Well, first I want to say 
that um, this is good discomfort. Consider it your growing pains. In this space, whenever that sort of thing happens, it's just that your your mind's maybe broadening and things are shifting and it doesn't feel quite right just yet. But that's wonderful because you're heading totally in the right direction. Um, and you even have an actionable step. So um, these are the things that I would leave people with is uh, to really put this work top of mind. We always have to find our role in it. What you just did in a split second is know that you are ha- you have a new um, leadership opportunity on a nonprofit board where you can take this and use it. That's powerful. So again, audit yourselves. Where are you right now? How can you think more inclusively? And in particular, be thinking about gender and about you know donors of color and women donors because there's so much there um, to to really dig into and and ways to grow. And then find an actionable step. Be intentional about it, whatever that means. It may be a leadership role. It may be within your organization, looking at your board matrix and seeing who's there and who needs to be there in order to really um, move this work forward, looking at your staff. Um, Do your audit. Understand who you are and where you are with thinking more inclusively about philanthropy. That'll be your starting step. And then make a plan for another actionable step. Bring like-minded people together to understand the importance of this and to make sure that it stays top of mind and understand that it is not just a reaction. It's not a performative uh, movement that's a short-term type of thing. Uh, This is people changing systems. This is real change that's going to change the fabric of our entire sector in the most wonderful of ways. And will open us up to so many other opportunities, both from the bottom line with fundraising, but also as individuals and as human beings. So I think that's what I would leave you with today. Yeah, and I'll and I'm just going to add my my two cents too, and that is question question what you the what you've done in the past, um, and I think that fits well into what Yolanda is saying as well. So it was a great podcast today. I really, really learned a lot. I mean, this is like my third, 350th episode. And I don't think I learned more. I think I learned more today than I have in any of the other past episodes today. It makes me realize how a little, bit na- yeah, not a little bit naive I am. So I'd like to thank so very much Yolanda F. Johnson from Women of Color and Fundraising and Philanthropy for coming on to today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And if you like today's podcast, please give us a five-star review on your podcasting app because it really helps us get a word out. The Nonprofit MBA podcast is now in the top 5% of uh, podcasts in the nonprofit space. And I thank you for that. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Yolanda, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? They can find me on LinkedIn and they also can visit um, a few different websites. I don't know. Do you have a way that we can share this afterwards with everyone as well? Oh, of course. It'll be in the show notes and everything like that. Yes. So um, yeah, why, your, your website. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you finished. Go ahead. So just yfj-consulting.com is where you can find out all about me. Um, and with Woke, it's uh, fp is in fundraising and philanthropy.com as well. Yep. So it's woc-fp. 
www.thepowerofpositivity.com. Yeah, great. All right. Well, Yolanda, thanks for coming on today. Thank you for having me. This has been a a really, um, I think, productive conversation. And uh, stay in touch. Let me know how this journey is going. Let me know if we can be helpful. Sounds good. So um, just to wrap it up for everybody, I want to thank our listeners. I, I always do. You know, you guys are out there every single day making the world a better place. I thank you for doing that. You you guys are really, you know, doing all the hard work. But I know both Yolanda and I, we're both trying to do our part too and making the world a better place. But you're out there every single day. And um, I just want to remind you all that you should take good care of yourself. You're no good to your family. You're no good to your organization, your cause, if you don't take good care of yourself first. And of course, that means exercising, eating right, you know, getting getting some free time for yourself. And uh, I know it's hard in today's world to try to do that, but that's important. So everybody have a fantastic day. It was a really good topic. I really enjoyed learning uh, a lot today about it. And I wish you all uh, a great day.